timely topics, helpful insights. This is Teaching Grounds. Each episode will explore the inner workings of healthcare, life, and leadership to help you navigate the waters ahead. Hey guys, and welcome back to Teaching Grounds. I'm your host, Curtis Merritt, and today I've got a good show for you. Uh, we're going to cover one of the most ubiquitous drugs in all of medicine, the topic of acetaminophen or Tylenol. Uh, but first, if you're new to the show, um, first of all, welcome. Glad you joined us. Uh, and we really encourage you to keep following. Um, you can check us out on teachinggrounds.com. Um, and there you'll see a whole sort of host of different um topics we covered and we'll most likely be going through on these uh different podcasts here um but here's really why i'd encourage you to do it um most of our life uh whether it's uh, our personal life professional life um our creative life uh the things we want to hope and accomplish to uh or hope to accomplish um those are all shaped by perspectives they're all shaped by how we see the world and that perspective shapes us it shapes it colors it sort of molds um, how we take information in and how we uh, then sort of project uh, into the outside world we kind of interact and sort of respond with our interaction I had an old mentor of mine that said um, you know perception is projection right how you perceive is then how you will interact back uh, to the world so Teaching Grounds, our job, or our mission, I guess, if you will, is to take a really honest look at the different lenses we carry. We call this our box of lenses, and everybody has one, and we have one. And our job is really to take those lenses out, look at the world through them, and see how they're affecting how we perceive the world. Um, medicine is a lens. Uh, financial planning is a lens. Uh, leadership is a lens. Uh, your different faith backgrounds is a lens. And each one of those will shape, mold, and color how we then interact with the world. So teaching grounds, we want to, um, you know, we want to take a, a good hard look at that because whether we're intentional about the lenses we carry, whether, you know, we study leadership or finance or, um, you know, are constantly building into our repertoire of perspectives, or if we're unintentional, well, then we're being intentionally unintentional. So no matter whether you're making an active effort to see how what you know and what you're learning is shaping how you're interacting with the world, or if you're unintentional, the point is that it's still going to um, have an effect on how you go uh, forward in your journey. So we want to take a look at that. We want to have some open, honest conversations, um, you know, share experiences and knowledge. Uh, particularly my background as an internist, uh, that has a big impact as to how I see the world. It makes a whole lot of difference uh, when I turn on the news because I see that news. I see, um, you know, my family interactions. I see people on the street and it's all shaped and molded by 
that lens. Not completely. I have a number of other different lenses in my box, but that's a big one. And so when we're aware that we carry these perspective changing things inside of us, well, then we can objectively take them out and look at them and see, you know, whether or not, you know, hey, um, you know, maybe I was bullied as a kid or something. And when somebody's giving me a reprimand or something, maybe they're not bullying me. Maybe they really are just trying to uh, lead me in the right direction. And so, you know, ideas like that, you know, the, the idea that we can actually take these out and take a look at them and, um, and decide whether or not those are ones we want to carry. So that is the point of teaching grounds is to really bring uh, a number of different lenses to the table and see, is that something we want to look at, particularly from the internist perspective, from a doctor's perspective. Um, one of the things we noticed was uh, when we would do rounds, you know, especially our staff, our nursing staff, techs and, and you know, the lot uh, would always be listening in on the conversations, um, especially when it's colleague to colleague. Uh, you know, I call it the lean in factor. You know, people kind of lean in and, and they they want to know what are the doctors thinking. Well, I'm a doctor. Uh, by no means do I have the, uh, the full cadre of perspectives, but I do believe in taking my own lens and applying it to different subjects. And so that's that's a big portion of teaching grounds here is to uh, see how the world uh, looks through a physician's lens through a leadership lens, through all the different ones that we carry here. So if you're joining us for the first time, that's sort of a short, long explanation as to what Teaching Grounds is. And we're really glad you joined us. We hope you keep joining us. Uh, today, we're going to talk about a topic that you are well familiar with, and that is the topic of Tylenol or acetaminophen or uh, what is it? Paracetamol, I think is the other sort of English name they use overseas. Tylenol is ubiquitous. It is everywhere in the hospital and clinic setting, and for good reason. And so we want to dive into a little bit as to why that is, particularly, uh, you know, when you're calling the physician at night or asking for a clarification or doing a refill order for the pharmacy. Uh, why are these doctors prescribing so many Tylenol-containing products? Where are the ibuprofens? Where are the Aleves? And we use those. And particularly in the hospital setting, we don't use them as much. And there's some pretty good reasons for that, at least from my perspective, my lens. And that's part of what we want to cover today. So Tylenol, what is it? Well, Tylenol is basically like an NSAID. It blocks one of the cyclooxygenase enzymes. So that's there's this cascade of inflammation and reaction that can happen. And uh, one of the key enzymes, one of the rate-limiting enzymes in that reaction is going to be cyclooxygenase or COX. Um, so there's COX-1, COX-2, you know, um, Celebrex was um, always on the advertisement as being a, a COX-2 inhibitor. Um, but Tylenol is a bit special because, yes, it does seem to block COX-2, but um, we're actually not fully sure as to how it works exactly. It may have some central nervous system effects, and you'll be surprised. In medicine, there's quite a few drugs as long as they have a track record of proving that they're not harmful per se, we're kind of okay not knowing exactly how they work. And believe it or not, there's a lot of medicines that way. You look up in your Hippocrates or whatever, and you see that there is a um, sort of an unknown factor to their um, to their mechanism of action, their pharmacology. So just bear that in mind. We don't always know how these drugs work, but heck, we still use them. 
Um, but the big difference between Tylenol and the NSAIDs is Tylenol does not have the same cascade of negative side effects that we worry about with the NSAIDs. So NSAIDs being like a leaf, ibuprofen, um, uh, ethyl dose aspirin, uh, they all have uh, some potent side effects, especially in the hospital setting that we want to try and avoid. So more than likely, if your patient's in the hospital, you'll see um, Tylenol as the predominant agent uh, for mild, moder- or mild to moderate pain, uh, fever, that sort of thing. Now, Tylenol is nice, be- um, acetaminophen uh, is nice because um, it has three routes that it can go in. You can go uh, orally, obviously. You can put it through a peg tube and crush it up. It can be PR. Uh, you can do Tylenol per rectum. You can also do IV Tylenol. Uh, which is particularly useful in the post-surgical setting the first 24 hours out. That's really its main indication, but it's becoming more widely used. Um, I think the jury's still out on as to how much net benefit that is. Um, but certainly it has, uh, just like when we combine it in Percocet or uh, Norco, where we combine it with an opiate, there's some synergistic effect, meaning one plus one doesn't necessarily equal two, maybe, maybe equals four or five or six. Um, there's some synergy that happens. Well, likewise, we can uh, we see that effect with opiates um, when we're in the hospital setting. When we add Tylenol, like IV Tylenol, to the post-surgical patient, we're seeing some synergy with their opiates, um, which is nice because you know we want pain control. We want our patients, um, you know, having as an enjoyable experience when they're post-surgical setting as we can. Uh, we want them comfortable. We also don't want them snookered. So there's a bit of um, a balance to it, and Tylenol has a, um, a pretty useful effect there. Um, now, who lists Tylenol as one of those sort of essential medicines for the emerging markets? Um, it's one that really, it treats fever, it treats inflammation, it treats um, uh, pain as well. It's one of those really essential medicines that uh, just about anywhere in the world you want to make sure you have in your medicine cabinet. And that's why the World Health Organization is listed as one of those essential medicines. Um, Like I said, it does treat fever. It does treat pain. uh, treats arthritis, inflammation. Now, not nearly to the extent that the true NSAIDs will. uh, The Aleves, the ibuprofens, those sort of things. But uh, it does have some effect. Now, there's three main issues we worry about um, in the hospital saying. So you call the doctor up. Uh, or you're on the phone with them and you're wondering, okay, why, why are these guys pres- prescribing so much Tylenol? Um, you know, it seems like, you know, when I'm at home and I have a headache, well, I don't really reach for Tylenol. I reach for, um, you know, reach for ibuprofen or Motrin or Advil or whatever the name brand is you want to use. Well, there's three main ones, uh, at least from my perspective, from my lens, that, uh, we kind of shy away from the anti-inflammatories. Now, they have a role. You know, if you come in pericarditis, there's some anti-inflammatory role there. Uh, If you come in and have pretty significant arthritis pain or you have some uh, maybe a rheumatologic flare that's bad enough that you need, you know, pain control in the hospital, you know, you may see us use them there. Uh, Orthopedics tends to use them more, especially with orthopedic uh, recovery, Um, you know, post-surgical arthroplasties, those sort of things. Uh, but the big one, the one that sticks out in my mind is I consider ibuprofen, Aleve, you know, these NSAIDs, aspirin, full dose aspirin, uh, baby aspirin usually is pretty benign. Um, but I consider these to be nephrotoxic. Um, and there's some good reasons we'll kind of dive into those, but for the most part, when we consider the things that can hurt the kidneys, 
you got to lump those NSAIDs in there with them. And there's two main ways. One is sort of directly toxic. We get what we call an interstitial nephritis or inflammation of the kidney from these drugs. Um, and also it can affect the blood flow uh, to the kidneys. So anytime um, somebody comes into the hospital, this is sort of the big you know, step back broad picture of what we're looking at when um, somebody walks in our door. Most of the time, most of the time, what we do to them has the potential to affect the kidneys. All right, let's think about it. Um, pneumonia patient comes in. They're hypoxic. Okay, well, you can get hypoxic damage to the kidneys, right? Um, let's say they're septic from their illness, whatever it is. Well, sepsis is basically a global underperfusion, i.e. the nephrons are not going to receive the right amount of blood in the right timing. Now, your creatinine may not bump per se, but it may be in a low flow state. Well, the kidney has some... Um, some mechanisms it can do to increase blood flow in a low flow state. Now, you know, the kidney actually controls a lot of blood pressure with the renin-angiotensin system, so it has the ability to increase its flow that way. Um, that, as I understand, would probably take a little bit longer. But it also has this ability, um, if you consider blood flow coming from the heart, down the aorta, down to the renal arteries, eventually get to a little sub-artery called the afferent arteriole. And this little guy um, is pretty dependent on blood pressure. And in a setting where the flow through the afferent arterial is less, the body actually has something called prostaglandin. It acts like a stent, this afferent arterial. keeps it open. Um, and this chemical is blocked by aspirin, Aleve, ibuprofen, basically the NSAIDs. Well, the problem is that if you have a low-flow state, let's sort of think of it like a garden hose, a real floppy garden hose, uh, if you have pressure, good water pressure, well, then that hose is nice and turgid, as we say. It's full. That's a term from botany, actually, the uh, cells of the plant when they're nice and full of fluid. Uh, it's nice and turgid. Um, but when the uh, water is turned off and the flow becomes less, you need something to keep that water hose open. Well, that is what prostaglandins do. And again, these insects block that. So if you think that the kidney little unit, the nephron is at the end of that uh, garden hose waiting for that blood supply. If it doesn't have enough pressure and the hose is collapsed and nothing is keeping it open, well, yeah, there's going to be some downstream suffering that the kidney is going to experience. And I promise you, there have been people that had significant kidney damage as a result of taking insets in the setting of a low flow kidney state. So, that's at least my perspective on the, on the kidney side of things. Um, and it's something we bear in mind because think about it. You know, patient comes in, they've got abdominal pain. We don't know why. What do they get? They get a contrast CAT scan probably. Uh, or they come with a, um, you know, a stroke and we want to take a look with an MRI and an MRA. Okay, MRA is angiography. That means they probably got a contrast load uh, from that as well. All these had the potential to be nephrotoxic. They all have the potential to harm the kidneys. So it's something we bear in mind. So, you know, you get on the phone with the doctor. and He's like, hey, they're complaining of headache, asking for Motrin. Well, you know, they're here with acute renal failure. We're not going to give them Motrin. We're going to shoot for Tylenol. Even if it doesn't work as well, we'll probably try to avoid um, those insects. You know, or at least that's how I, you know, when I approach, um, you know, my medical decision making. That's sort of the broad term we use in medicine to describe our thinking process. That's how I'm coming to that medical decision. 
and taking a look at the after effects that we may experience and uh, opting to choose for the least uh, invasive, least harmful. Um, so there's some other things that are going on too. Um, if you've ever noticed somebody comes in, they've got some epigastric abdominal pain, and we ask them some questions. Do you take an ELE, BC powders, goody powders, ibuprofen, naproxen, um, you know, try to list all the different names of the NSAIDs. And, you know, sometimes we'll pick up on a peptic ulcer disease. Well, how did that happen? Well, let's say it's somebody that's got a lot of reflux and, and heartburn. And on any given day, they've got a lot of acid or they're pretty sensitive to their um, acidity levels. Well, NSAIDs have the ability to influence um, the acidity levels and the uh, mucus levels of the stomach. So goes back to our friend prostaglandin. Prostaglandin is going to, um, normally it's going to inhibit acidity, it's going to reduce it, and it's going to increase muc uh, mucus production. So when it is absent, when it's blocked by something like, um, like an NSAID, it will do the opposite. So it's going to allow acid secretion to increase and decrease mucus production. As a result, that is where you get your peptic ulcers from. And if you think about it, the gastric mucosa, the cell lining of the stomach itself, is pretty sensitive probably, uh, like every tissue, to blood flow, to influences. And that's why certainly we want to put people on PPIs and acid blocking medicines when they're septic, because they are at risk for um, the um, the ulcer disease when they are sick in, uh, from a septic state. So uh, it's not just nephrotoxicity, it's also peptic ulcer disease. So beyond that, um, if you've ever noticed that there's a whole lot of people with cardiac disease on aspirin, well, there's one more thing that uh, we think about when it comes to our non-steroidals, and that is their ability to be basically blood thinners. Now, Aspirin is the predominant one. It blocks thromboxanes. Thromboxanes are sort of pro-coagulants that circulate and sort of play into the coagulation cascade. Um, and aspirin has the ability to irreversibly block these, um, which is why if they're going to go for a surgery that's particularly vascular, particularly risky, they want them off aspirin for a certain period of time um, because we want to make sure that we... Um, are giving the body every chance to be in its normal uh, clotting state. So ibuprofen, Aleve, do these to a lesser extent, but certainly aspirin is an irreversible uh, inhibitor. Now, Tylenol does not have these effects. It does not have the same thromboxane blocking power as, um, as the other NSAIDs do. So when we consider somebody that's coming in, maybe... Uh, GI bleed. Well, certainly if it's an upper GI bleed, we don't want to add to that by increasing acid and decreasing mucus. No, we want to make sure we don't do that. So Tylenol will probably be our preferred agent there. Uh, but also any bleeding disorder, anybody that's got a cumin coagulopathy or anything that would add to uh, a bleeding problem, uh, maybe their platelets are low or something like that. Well, we don't want to then inhibit the functional platelets that are still residing in the system. Maybe they have a history of liver disease. Maybe they don't make platelets or they're sequestered or uh, held up in one of the organs like the liver or spleen. Um, and that can certainly be a reason to offer Tylenol. Now, I don't know this for sure. Um, it's kind of anecdotally through a hepatologist I worked with back in my internship. But uh, even patients with liver disease, uh, you know, you can still give Tylenol to. 
you have to be judicious and a lot of times the practitioners will shy away from it because we are worried about uh, the hepatic toxic effects because if you already have liver dysfunction or cirrhosis you don't want to then add to the hepatocellular damage or the damage to the liver cells by adding Tylenol products to them but hepatologist I worked with back in my internship was pretty adamant about you want to avoid NSAIDs in those patients more than you do Tylenol and Tylenol is actually preferred and they opted for a two gram per day dose like I said I don't know that's for sure uh, again in medicine we often have sort of the anecdotal my attending told me and so that's what I do mentality um, and we kind of try to couple that with the evidence-based medicine and it becomes a sort of hodgepodge of what we call our practice um, but at least that's my experience for him again I don't know for sure I have not seen the guidelines on that but something to bear in mind so big global picture NSAIDs in the hospital have a lot of risks to them particularly because the patient's state you know they're sick they're under perfuse for one reason or another or um, because of uh, you know just their underlying condition or the uh, effects of these NSAIDs and what they can do our testing has effects on the kidneys and you know it sort of fits into this global picture of in the hospital maybe NSAIDs aren't the best uh, modality to use and we may want to opt for the acetaminophen uh, containing products instead um, so, but those are just some thoughts. Um, Tylenol, like I said, is pretty ubiquitous. It's not going away. You will encounter it and it has some pretty good effects. Um, we know it's got some anti-inflammatory effects, but mainly pain control and fever control. Um, and it is something that we, uh, continue to, um, use pretty heavily, especially in the hospital setting that does become our go-to agent. If you'd like to hit up uh, the topic a little bit more, you can check us out on teachinggrounds.com. Uh, there you'll see quite a few topics we've covered. Um, anything from you know, how to teach and instruct for critical thinking to how to kind of deal with you know, difficult coworkers, hard discussions. Um, there's all sorts of topics we've covered so far. And we hope to do some podcasts on these, uh, really dive into it a little bit uh, further. It is kind of helpful, uh, one, to read it, and two, to kind of hear a discussion, sort of uh, a lean-in conversation where I uh, kind of hear the different uh, angles and aspects because these are topics that you're going to find out in a pretty pretty recurrent medicine. You know, hard discussions, times when you have to have interactions with families that are uh, unhappy or concerned for whatever reason, some different uh, techniques you can use in those situations. Uh, but you can check all that out on teachinggrounds.com. We have an I have a question page, and that is basically geared towards, hey, I'm seeing this in the hospital, I'm seeing this, um, you know, in the medical world. Uh, could you dive in a little further and, and help us um, maybe see it from a different perspective? That is really the goal and purpose of Teaching Grounds, is to field your questions. Uh, we actually have a, the questions page, which is um, basically where uh, we prompt everything with a you know some topic we've had a question on before uh, you also see uh, links there to the on the phone with and what we've noticed is um, especially in the nursing world I have yet to meet a nurse that just doesn't care most of them just about everyone I've ever met uh, wants to do a great job and sometimes it's just a matter of being armed with the right tools with the uh, with the on the phone uh, links there what those are are different questions that I as an internist want to have answered before I call a specialist so I'm gonna be on the phone with pulmonology I'm gonna be on the phone with cardiology or nephrology 
I know they're going to ask certain questions and I want to make sure that I have those questions answered before I give them a call. So a good example is I'm calling the pulmonologist about uh, the patient on the ventilator. Okay, well, they're going to want to know the most recent ABG, the x-ray findings, what's the PAO2, FO2 ratio, uh, do they have a pulmonary history, um, what is their work of breathing like, you know, there's just this whole cadre of different stuff that that pulmonologist is going to want to know about because those things shape and color how they see that patient. So those, those little pieces of information are important. And for the most part, I'm not seeing that out there, uh, at least not readily available uh, for folks to uh, just take a look at. So again, those are the, the questions I look to have answered before I give people a call. But there's chest pain, there's arrhythmias, I think CHF is on there. Um, there's just quite a few, and uh, we can certainly link those in. Uh, we have links to our Facebook page. Uh, feel free to join our group on Facebook. This is where we kind of uh, harvest a lot of the questions that uh, end up becoming topics and podcasts. Uh, if you have something you'd like to know more about, uh, we'll go into it as far as we can. Uh, certainly by no means the expert on everything, but I want to make sure that at least we present that uh, physician's lens uh, as best we can there. Uh, and then certainly there are links to the podcast there as well. You can listen to us on SoundCloud. We're also on iTunes. And we're going to be getting going on a 2.0 version of that. We've got some better audio equipment. Um, the initial ones are pretty much me and my uh, me and my laptop, but now we've we've got sort of the standard uh, recording uh, instruments here. So, thanks again for joining us here on Teaching Grounds, and we'll catch you on the next episode. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Teaching Grounds podcasts are the opinion of the author and do not necessarily represent the viewpoints of our affiliate partners. Timely topics, helpful insights. This is Teaching Grounds. Oh,